I credit any kind of success that I might have to those moments. Yeah. When you feel like you're the worst player in the room or whatever, you're grateful for that. Yeah. That's the secret Big sauce, time. I think. Big time. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Will Chernoff, and you're listening to the Rhythm Changes podcast, a home for creative, improvising, local music people. This show is an ongoing, open-ended series of conversations with folks who make their community fun and prosperous. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to follow this feed wherever you get your podcasts, and check out our website, rhythmchanges.ca. Our guest today needs no introduction if you're a young jazz person in Vancouver, and you can hear him play guitar on the album he made with Amber Sang, previous Rhythm Changes podcast guest, titled Autumn Nocturne. You might have also heard him perform and record with a litany of up-and-coming artists in the Vancouver area, and he is a graduate of Kaflano University's jazz program who works full-time as a musician. You can find him online on Instagram at Alvin Brendan. Please welcome to the studio, my friend Alvin. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Will. Yeah. I'm just a fan of the podcast. So I'm happy to be here. That's awesome that you're a listener. Thank you for tuning in. And I know that your close friends and duet partners, two of them have been recent guests. And the first one that springs to mind is Amber because of the album and because we crossed paths at the Fort Langley Jazz Festival. If we think about your duet with Amber, I guess I first became aware of it kind of about a year ago now. Like it was during COVID and I found out that your album was coming out. But when did you actually play together for the first time? Probably at CAP or somewhere else. Where did it start? At CAP. And I think she came to CAP at, in 2017. And we were we met each other very early on in that semester. And I think we're both very similar people and then getting to know each other we found out that we're we have very similar music tastes jazz or otherwise and we just ended up playing together i think i was probably her first consistent musical friend in the program which probably led to our friendship outside of music as well so yeah it would be fall 2017 early in the school year yeah and i think we started performing pretty close to that point i got her on some random pop cover gigs, some little jazz background gigs, and we just kind of started playing from there. Yeah. And then you would have met Will Clements at around the same time too, right? Yeah, the year prior. Um, so my first year at CAP, 2016, he was one of my first friends in that semester as well. We started gigging quite early on. I think once we became friends, I think that winter in our first year of CAP, we were already playing some corporate events, some Christmas gigs and whatnot. So I've I've done a healthy amount of playing with, with both of them. Yeah. And that's where I know you best is in that format, although I know you play with many other people. When you were there, what experience were you already armed with? What had you done up to that point playing-wise? I always kind of thank my younger self in retrospect to playing a lot. And there was a lot of things that now I don't have to think about too much because... 13 year old me thought it'd be fun to play the guitar every day so i going into cap i had no real ambitions to become a jazz musician i had listened to maybe five jazz records total at that point and i really respected the music but like like a lot of guitar players it's it's very there's a large gateway as, as far as 
music theory and because I mean, the, the guitar fretboard is such a cryptic mess, right? You're a bass player, you know. I was just at that point of trying to break out of that guitar box. Yeah. The reason why I'm most curious about that is because, you know, when I've talked to Amber and Will on this podcast and off, they speak to you as an expert. They respect your playing ability and what you're bringing into those gigs. Will memorably called you his jazz husband at one point. I'm sure you reciprocate. (laughs) Will and I... It feels like Will and I learned how to play this music together. Yeah. Will came from an extremely musical family and a very musical high school upbringing. So he had a lot to offer. And I I learned, and I say that we learned together, but really it felt like I was learning from him a lot of the time. Yeah. And Amber too, right? Had the experience in the Vancouver Youth Choir, maybe, or other things like that. Yeah, yeah. And she was already, I mean, when I met her, she was already an incredibly polished vocalist. Yeah. So there's an element of like it takes one to know one sort of in yeah, how you guys yeah. are respecting each other's skills. But totally. I mean, like I mean I yeah, again, I say that Will and I learn together, but really like I all my earliest memories of playing with Will, it was just me learning from his approach and what and what he knew. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because like if you have these people who are talking like, oh, Alvin can play anything he's an expert and it's like yeah that's totally true in one sense but like with all due respect and it goes with everybody it's like you're not right like especially not at age 19 or whatever so it's not just like (laughs) about the talent or about the ability it's about something else so like as something to strive for or as something just to check in on as you're learning like what is that secret sauce what do you think it is that makes it so good like that the best part of that situation of, again, using Will as an example, learning from each other, you surround yourself with like people that have talent that manifests in different areas and you just, you start growing together and like that makes you better. I'll, I'll always say that the thing that's helped me improve the most is like being in a situation where I felt like I was not the best person in the room. Don't really think that anyways, but you know, you know, those moments where you get into a room and you just feel like, you're outclassed in a certain area and you just, but you use that as a motivator to, to learn and, and to get inspiration from, and, you know, moments playing with Amber and moments playing with Will, I, I get that. And it's, it's, it's this dynamic thing um, where we're both, especially if you play together for a very long time, that you're both improving together. And that's, to me, that's the secret sauce is like, just be in a room with people where you can learn. If we're talking, I don't know, good time and groove. If you play with people that, that have all the experience playing with really good time, really good feel, really good groove, you're just going to naturally melt into that or hang out with someone with a really deep sense of harmony. You play a tune with them, you pick up stuff from it. That's the sauce. Yeah. I want to ask you about the first memory you have of when you experienced that. And I've got one in my mind. I'll tell you mine too. But when was the first time that you saw that? The first time. I might have been 15 I used to be in this organization called Healing Using Music, and we would play at different charity homes and that kind of thing. Or occasionally we'd we'd hold a a bigger show to raise money for a different organization. And I got asked to play with a singer named Gio Levy. It's fantastic, yeah, R and B pop singer. Uh, and I met um, this fellow named Chris Wong. Yeah, you know Chris. Yeah, uh, and he was maybe three years older than me at the time, maybe four. And I think he just started Cap at the time. And that was 
honestly the first time that I had been in a situation playing with somebody that there was musicianship, there was nuance, there was precision to what he was doing, there was fun in what he was doing while also feeling very rehearsed and polished and and I think that was that was big for me seeing even even the things that weren't musical like how to handle himself in rehearsal and learn tunes and this kind of thing so playing with him was actually quite a big I mean he's kind of the I had two people that convinced me to go to cap it was him and then Gavin Grochowski the sax player where is this Richmond Richmond yeah. yeah I went to McMath yeah. secondary and i think both of them i had a conversation like this I'm like oh you should go to cap and apparently that was enough to convince me it was two people telling me to do that but playing with chris you get i because he had already from a young age on his point he had already put in a lot of the hours that you need to to become a really good musician despite the genre right so playing with chris was big that was the first that was probably the first moment that i i felt that that like oh I don't really know how to handle myself in this situation, but he does. Um, And I learned a lot from that. Yeah. My first moment was this jam that happened at Goldie's Pizza, which was at Seymour and Pender. I think that's a real cross street. (laughs) I don't want to get my norths and my souths crossed here, but that was before the Pat's Jam of today. There was a jam in the basement floor of place called goldie's pizza so when i was at cap for the one year i was there the goldie's pizza jam thing was happening and i got up and the people who were anchoring the jam that first time i went there were eli and millie and i think i'd met them maybe once or twice but i didn't really know them yet at that point i was definitely just blown away by how good they were but i got up there and i played some bass and Millie was still playing drums and some other people were playing and just played like a couple of simple standards, but I was such a fish out of water and it was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you can channel that into inspiration and not discouragement, and that's the most valuable thing. Yeah. I'm flattered what Amber and Will have told you previously, but really the last five years has just been a series of that same event over and over of feeling like I'm that other people in the room have something that I don't. Yeah. If I'm having a good day, hopefully I'm using that to learn and, and inspire. And I guess it's like that. I I credit any kind of success that I might have to those moments. Yeah. When you feel like you're the worst player in the room or whatever, you're grateful for that. Yeah. That's the secret sauce. I think big time. The first time I played with Craig Scott and Jody was on Will's debut record I remember he got the grant in like September the year before. So I was just, you know, those pre-stage jitters you get like five minutes before a gig. I got the, I got those for like nine months straight yeah. <laughs> before this <laughs> session. Uh, I was terrified because I was, I think I was just in third year at that point and they're heroes of mine. And but then you realize you, you, you step in the rehearsal space and I'm still nervous. I'm sitting on my stuff. And then you realize that at, at the very moment, the first tune starts that I realized that I'm going to have the easiest time playing this music that I've ever had because of how good they are. You feel so supported. That's, you know, well, it's not, oh, they sound so much better and you don't. It's like, because they're so good, you sound better and you sound more inspired as a result. Right. Yeah. That was a big one for me. That's Um, funny that you talk about it in a recording session. I like that because I mean, 
I had Ilhan Safarali on. He talked about recording anxiety or something and how as a really young and precocious artist, which he is, he thinks about, you know, I want to make sure that I'm developing and then later, you know, I can go and make an album. I'm not in a rush to do that right now. That's kind of what he said. And he talked about it in the context of, well, I don't always get performance anxiety, but I do get recording anxiety. And I'm absolutely the same way. I never get nervous when I play gigs and you play a lot of gigs. So maybe you feel the same way, but I do when I record. Depends on the session, depends on the gig. Yeah. Who knows what factors are at at play in those days where you're nervous or you're not. But as far as leading up to that recording session in particular, and even the first tune or two, I obviously felt the same thing of Jody and Craig are going to sound amazing and I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb because like I'm some I'm some third year who's Alvin Brendan when Craig Scott and Jody Prosnick are on the on the personnel and it's in the so back because right? like objectively you just don't like you fit in you totally do <laughs> thank you and so does Will um, right and like yeah, yeah right and try not to fall in that mental trap and then leaning into that that feeling of oh I had never had an easier time playing jazz and in that studio just I'd never played with musicians of that caliber before and if you can lean into that inspiration and that excitement as opposed to that that critical discouraging mentality then that's it you know yeah i think any kind of improvement that i've ever had in the last little bit has been hopefully channeling the good aspects of those moments but anyway what brought us here was playing with somebody like will for the first time i got that that same experience that same feeling of will has this down um, even though we were we were both learning at the same time, but I can think of moments where I've played with Will that I've that I still think about to this day that I that I try to channel in what I do. Yeah. So the secret sauce is the first step where you got to feel grateful for the opportunity to be the worst player in the band and to be the person who has the most to learn. And if you can get that, then you're rolling. Then you're really learning for real. And yeah. then if you're in a duet, the maybe the key to a good duet then is like. If you can get that into a two-person feedback loop and you just keep hanging out together, especially if like university brings you together or a series of gigs like playing at Piva or whatever else you've done with Amber or Will, like then you can really kind of hack that and get it going right amongst yourselves. Totally. You get this this trust that whatever I do musically that they'll respond to in a way and vice versa. And you get this comfort level that you're willing to try new things or go against the grain of what you've done before. And that's always the exciting part of it. Yeah. And to me, that's a good, that's a lot of the, the goodness and, and some duo jazz is that, is that trust and comfort. You don't have to overthink too much of, because you're relying so heavily on the two instruments, right? Like you're, you're you're utilizing instrument to its highest capability it's got the most space to do stuff exactly and so like what are you going to do within that space and you want to feel comfortable within that space yeah and then if you're not playing like if you are in a part of the arrangement where you're not playing then the other person's totally on their own right so sometimes that's (laughs) cool but you got to be careful right yeah yeah i mean and i think if we're talking specifically about duo jazz now i think the fun part is within that space there's you can really start thinking about the texture of what you're creating because so much of that control is up to you. Yeah. You know, if I'm in a, a nine piece ensemble, the guitar decisions aren't affecting the overall texture of the, of the thing nearly as much as if I'm playing duo with Amber or Will. Right. Yeah. 
that can be stressful or that can be really fun. Yeah. You can change the feel of the entire arrangement by yourself. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. You're, you're the bus driver. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about having a duo partner like Amber or Will, and Will specifically just because his preferences really align with is that like he'll take charge a lot. <laughs> yeah. He'll start singing bass lines um, and yeah, yeah, you know, changing up the form and changing up feel. And he has that kind of, he, he can take control. He's an arranger. As, as much, yeah, exactly. As much as any chordal instrument can, which is exciting and fun for me. Yeah. That's a stimulating environment, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in a two-person team. But if you're in any band with somebody who thinks like that and who just puts that into mm-hmm. practice, then it's like there's always something yeah. interesting for you to dig into, right? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you use Amber and Willis as an example just because their their approach feels very, very different for me. But it's both exciting and fun and in in their own very different ways. I think with Will, it's it's the the I never know what Will's going to do. And when the minute I start thinking I know what Will's going to do, he'll just change the it up element on of me. surprise. Um, whereas with Amber, it's 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 um, there's a goal that I know we're trying to achieve together, but how we get there is is always kind of fluid and changing. Maybe that's the same thing. You know, you know what I mean? Like it feel the. It's just like a different personality, right? That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, and I, I think my job as the accompanist is is to bring out their different personalities. Oh, that's um, good. And, <laughs> and I think a really successful gig is when we're when I or at least personal success is when I feel like I'm able to do that. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I've got three big duet partnerships that I've had so far. Mm-hmm. I had kind of a formative one. I had one that really took over my whole musical life in a great way. And then I have one that allowed me to branch out and try something different. And I was coming into this conversation with three duets in mind for you. And we've riffed on two of them. And the third one is Tissa Rahim. Mm-hmm. Outside of the of the jazz idiom, playing with Tissa, but also playing any anything more R&B pop oriented i think the guitar takes a at least mentally i think about it as a bit of a different role yeah say we're playing a tune that is normally orchestrated with a full band what can i do within my little space as a guitar player to make sure that the audience is is missing as little as possible or leaning into the fact that it's only a guitar and what can i do to make that more effective and because tisa is such a great musician you know she's a big jazz fan as well and knows a lot of standards and whatnot and just knows how that kind of spontaneity and improv thing kind of goes down it's there is still this element of anything can happen but it's just kind of with a different tool set as opposed to yeah a jazz tool set and sometimes you actually have to really cover a song in a different sort of way right like you mm-hmm. have to learn something that does the same thing as the original recording more so than you would in jazz exactly yeah so you have to like search for these sounds and you're really good at that like on top of when you play jazz and how well you fit into the jazz language like you are good at dialing in some of these r&b sounds that i hear you when you're playing with her or other people yeah i'm glad to, i'm thank you i'm glad to hear <laughs> who else do you play with just so i can keep track that's in that side of things in more of the pop r&b yeah. side of things i'm playing with this girl named danny camacho who's more of a pop folky singer songwriter kind of thing we've done a bunch of duo stuff as well I'll play. I've played a lot with a man named Paul Caldwell, who's this mm. Irish folk singer. Um, this man named Brian O'Brien, similar yeah. kind of 
Tom Waits type. <laughs> did you play at the Mission Folk Festival with him? One I year? did. Yeah, we camped next to each other, right? I you, think. Did with we? Early Spirit was there. I don't know if we ran we into did. each other on the I site. ran into Raquel. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. So we were in the... And I don't even know yeah. if I knew you. Did I know you back then? We'd I, probably... Because that was like, if you think about it, like Will, he probably hadn't even written his thing yet. His, his Amplify grant, right? Was, so yeah, or maybe, it was just coming up. So yeah. like we weren't really plugged in i probably to, recognized the face yeah. but yeah because i remember you guys pulled up in a like a trailer you had a trailer <laughs> on a on a pickup truck or something oh, yeah. yeah and early spirit was there and we were both in the performers camp ground area that was behind the stage and yeah we were next next to each other but we didn't really we didn't catch up too much while we were there but i remember that he was there and, yeah. yeah and brian's kind of an interesting talking point if you play with a five-piece band that's played for a long time you want arrangements to be pretty set with Brian and just the way his music is, the way it's written and the way it's arranged, that there's there's a lot of room to the arrangements can be pretty fluid and malleable, um, which is the same way in a, in a jazz gig, um, and a lot of it's just kind of reading Brian's mind and and again like trying to get his music and his personality through as effectively as possible of how he's feeling at the time, which is you know the same thing as playing with Will at Piva, right? Okay, that's good. So you like that when somebody does that and, and you have that feeling where there is a structure, but there is that opportunity to try and read. You like, you enjoy trying to read the person's it, mind it, or something it, like that. Yeah, if it's done with musical intent and not out of confusion or pre- unpreparedness, yeah. then it's brilliant. Um, but I also, I love playing a pop gig where everything I do is, I, I want it to be the exact same every time. Like there's a lot of valuable value in that as well. Yeah. So my three duets are, my formative one was with Madeline Elkins because we started playing when we were pretty young and we got the chance to try a bunch of different stuff by picking up as many gigs as we could, even however small they were. And that's where I got to like get a repertoire going and figure out how to keep it interesting each time you performed. Then the one that took over my life was with Gabrielle Dubroy. We started to... Mm-hmm work together all the time when we were starting the band and we would also play duo as well when he would have other kind of mostly francophone related gig opportunities sometimes we would take some of those into duo i started playing a little bit of guitar when i was doing that with him because that's it's the easiest way to go it's easier than just trying to do that on the bass <laughs> bass and fiddle you know it can be really fun but it's hard <laughs> yeah uh so i kind of moved into guitar whenever i got the chance to do that with him and then when i was looking to try some new stuff uh, I started playing duo with my friend Kieran Lamb, who knows all about Celtic music. And then I'm playing guitar. She's playing flute and singing. You know, that's where I really feel like the worst player in the room. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, like to to learn the tunes from her is really great. I, I really appreciate it when someone can come in and like just has that background knowledge and can just like teach you these tunes and knows where you're going like kind of like we were talking about with Mm -hmm. amber right it's like she knows where we're going and so i i can come in and and get on that and and go with it but in that style of music i don't have that level of background knowledge so i couldn't do it by myself right right so you have these continuing duos that you've had for a very long time similar question back at you like what makes that relationship musically valuable to you and why do you continue to play with those people i want to have people who are passionate about a style or a genre or a sound teach me directly one-on-one. That's like right. the way that I learn the best. Cause I haven't always learned the best in school, but I really have when I have that kind of relationship. So that's like my favorite way to learn. I think that's what I yeah. get out of it. 
And the the reason why the duo is my favorite format for it is because it's the most without a net. Yeah. Like I, I I'm curious now that I just said that phrase about your answer on this, but one of the most impactful gigs that I ever saw was Wayne Shorter Quartet touring his quartet album called Without a Net at the Vancouver Jazz Festival in 2010. That gig blew our minds. That do you have one or two that are like that that come to your mind? Here's the, here, my I could I could think of plenty. The first one that comes to mind is um one of my just for for background I think um finding the music of Ed Bickert and what he's played on and records he made or the record he was a sideman of like that that was huge for me of feeling like i kind of knew what i was doing within the realm of jazz music so a, a longtime collaborator for, of him was drummer terry clark who I've, i'm just an immense fan of just one of my favorite musicians nice i was i think it was 2018 october maybe and i think at that time it was just a just kind of a bled day in the middle of the school semester it was kind of rainy it was kind of I think I'd, I'd just gotten out of a relationship at the time. And then I think, and then, so just to set the scene <laughs> and I, I think I had a friend come in to the, to the class I was at and said, Oh, Terry Clark's playing tonight. And I was really, how did, how did I not figure that out? Um, and it was this fellow named Bob bro. Have you heard of Bob bro? He's a tenor player and he's done some session work back in the day. I think he might've been in the boss brass a little bit, but he never did too much under his own name. So I guess that's why it, it kind of flew under the radar a bit. And it was one of those quiet Wednesday night Frankie's shows. Had to go watch Terry. Went down to Frankie's and still feeling kind of crappy just for what I had described before. But I was really excited to see him. We got there and that, that book, Live at the Cellar, describing the original Cellar back in the 50s and 60s, had come out. So there was, before the concert happened, they were doing this this little speech about the book. And it, it, it created this very nostalgic feeling for a time that I was not alive in. But, you know, Terry, as a teenager, played at the cellar back in the day. And I see, I look over and he's sitting right over there. And it really just made me realize how important he was to jazz music, but also just to me as a listener. And anyways, at, at the first tune, it was like seeing the, it felt like seeing like the train quartet, just the amount of power and hearing Terry's really unique cymbal sounds and these little fills that I've heard over decades of records. I'm like, Oh, that's the thing he does on that. Like that was huge for me. And it was this Wednesday night that maybe a third of the, of the place was full. It was a, quite an empty show. And I was, but, but me and my three friends were on our, on the bar stools, just losing our minds the entire time. And we got to, I got to chat with Terry for like half an hour afterwards. And Whoa. Um, that entire night, was one of those just pure inspiration nights for me that I still think about. He was actually here a couple months ago and I was able to chat with him again. And Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And so you're bros with Terry Clark. I wish, I wish <laughs> <laughs> that guy's, that guy's a hell of a bro. Yeah. Um, you talk to him, you can just tell all the life he's lived. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's a good one. I, really I think, one. I think about that one a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great one to think about. Do you remember, uh, who was there with you? Who the other? Who were the other three my people? Friend, there? It was my friend Tyler Murray, my friend yeah. Todd Stewart, and Dylan Knippelberg. Was the four of us. Nice. And Tyler in particular, we've another person that I've. He's an excellent jazz drummer. We've also just learned how to play this music together at the same time, and a lot of it was listening to these Jim Hall records where Terry's on it, or these Ed Bickert records where Terry's on yeah. it. So a great collective friendship moment as well. Just hearing that 
that cymbal sound come to life or that specific hi-hat fill that we always hear come to life. Yeah. Um, we, t- we still talk about it to this day. I took a lesson with Peter Bernstein, kind of a similar thing where I went up to his hotel room yeah. after Frankie's show. Did you get to do something with him at Cap too at one point? Yeah. 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 And I also did this master class with him a year prior. So it, that's cool. It, it feels cool that I'm <laughs> like a tiny part of Peter Bernstein's life, which is kind <laughs> of fun. Like we'll have a cute Facebook back and forth once in a while or something, but we've been able to reconnect here and there, which has been awesome. Because every, I mean, Peter is one of those guys where playing up with him at cap with nightcap or playing in his hotel room. It was that feeling I felt with Jody and Craig. It was the exact same thing, but I felt like I could do no wrong. Like I felt like I didn't focus on the fact that Peter's doing all this stuff that I can't do, or I feel like I can't give anything back. I felt like boundless inspiration as a comper, as a soloist after him by all the things he was doing, just his general musicality. I think that's whether I'm successful or not, that's the feeling I want to give other people that I'm playing with. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I'm, when I think of Peter Bernstein, did you, was it a big part of like your jazz exploration and learning to just like watch random footage on YouTube of jazz performances? Oh, that was most of it. Yeah. (laughs) Most of it for me too. I think this is people around our age. It's, it's one of the things for us. Like, I think if you're younger, I think maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not quite that, but that was like the thing to do because watching jazz TikToks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Somebody's, yeah, we gotta, we gotta amp up the supply of that so that there's more (laughs) activity going on there. That's a whole other subject. But like for us, it's like, especially, I mean, Spotify didn't even come to Canada until 2015. So yeah, I guess that was like, I was out, I had left cap before then and all that. So like when I was learning in my teens, like the best thing I could do was just look at footage on YouTube. The second best thing was go take CDs out of the library. When I think of Peter Bernstein, I think of this clip where he's performing with Rotem Sivan. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, and was it was it the one where the there's a drummer on with the spoon? You tell. They're playing. They're they're playing Sandu. Yeah, that's what it's Rotem and Peter playing duo. And at one point, this drummer who's has a spoon sitting by the table just starts trading with them soloing with them and it's just the most musical thing it's the best yeah it's so good <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad that you were right there oh you, yeah you watched this so you yeah. know and you just get a sense of peter bernstein from that i mean wrote him as well right but you get a mm-hmm. sense of both of them and how cool they are from that and this is generalizable right like this isn't just relevant to jazz musicians or musicians like if you do any creative thing or if you're learning anything this is available because of how easy it is on the internet and how easy it's been for 10 plus years to catch those moments. And if you come in with that attitude, then that's where it's going to come from. That's going to be the quickest way for you to learn, right? On the other hand, like you have gone through that whole degree, you're a graduate of that CAP program, right? So like, obviously I'm not, (laughs) but like what... That is obviously valuable for different reasons, right? So what do you feel now that you have some space to look back on it? What are the big lessons learned and the things that you got out of that side of it rather than what we've already talked about? I mean, Cap gave me so many of those experiences that I just talked about, right? Yeah. Like a lot of that is because of Cap. Yeah. A lot of the the people that I met that I continue to make music with is because of cap. The reason I'm sitting on this couch is because I went to cap. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like it used to be a trickier question for me because it's not like I learned more theory 
or I learned more tunes because I was at Cap. I think I was always, I've always been a pretty good solo learner that way. But Cap is giving me a bunch of other things that I could have never yeah. thought I would have wanted or needed. But I got, like, you know, like it, it's all just the experiences I've gotten playing with people, meeting people, Will and Amber, like, you know, having Bill as a teacher for two years was invaluable. Yeah. He has the same, he gives you the same feeling as Peter Bernstein in a lot of ways. Yeah. In an incredibly different way, but it comes out as the same. Yeah. It's, it's supportive. It's, it's, he's listening. He's, he's always thinking about what next and like what's going on. And yeah, yeah. It, Bill, I mean, yeah. Playing duo with Bill and in, in lessons for a few years or, you know, I, I, I say one of the most valuable things I ever did at cap was I did a, with a singer named Jeremy, we did a, a duo PMI where we would just perform for Bill a lot. And it's one thing to play with him where you're kind of stuck in playing mode, but it's nothing for, to perform for him over and over and hear Bill's take on what he would have done instead or what he liked and what he didn't like. And, Bill as a listener, his ears are, yeah. you know, Bill, the ears on that guy. And to hear his feedback in real time and to him to have, grab a guitar and like, hey, maybe this chord here, or maybe this ending, or maybe what if it felt more like this for this section and endless amounts of things to learn there. I wish I could do that for my entire life is just perform for Bill and him <laughs> give me notes. <laughs> you teach private lessons. What does an actual real week look like in the life of alvin brendan i have no idea <laughs> you have a lot of moving parts what does oh. it look like from monday to friday and on the week like what does it look like how do they fit together what do you spend time doing what does it roughly end up looking like for this you is, this is the week? chaos i'm still trying to figure yeah. out man. and just think like don't worry about covid don't pick like the absolute peak but just like a general kind of imaginary week like how do these different pieces fit together for you <laughs> in the last few months at least Throughout the summer, it, you know, there was a very quick kind of ramp up to f- feeling normal gig wise. These days, I have like one community center teaching gig, maybe sometimes two, depending on the So you go the to or, these places? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe one or two. It used to be a lot more. I used to have to do a bunch of group lessons at various different places and kind of grinded out this teaching thing. And since then, one, because I think I've been a lot more fortunate with gigs, and two, I just. I'm not much of a believer of teaching when you don't want to. Like, I just feel kind of crappy if I do. Yeah. It's a lose-lose on both people's end. Like teaching when you, the teacher, I, isn't yeah, feeling it. Yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. fair to the student or me. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, and, and teaching fatigue is just, it can be quite draining to give somebody undivided attention for an hour over and over. Um, so I, I try to limit, but throughout the week, there may be one or two community center teaching days. These days in the morning, I'll have some students that I'll teach the ones that are adults because schedules as adults are ever changing. It's always a very non-consistent schedule. As far as the last few months, there's been maybe on any given week, there's like a, I'll go into the studio and record something with this either for a session for a singer, or I work with this producer doing kind of generic music for like sync placements and whatnot. So which is a great way to fill out a week, say there's less stuff going on. I have just time to do that and hopefully that'll mm-hmm. pay back later on. And then maybe a Gilton Co. gig, maybe a second floor gig, maybe a festival thing if it's in the summer. And this last summer, I've been quite lucky that there's been like at least a few gigs every week and then wherever it can happen, rehearsals, whenever they can happen. Everything is so inconsistent. And I, I, I think that's a part of it that I kind of enjoy. I think routine kind of stresses me out. Whereas a lot of people, that would give them a little more comfort. I I, I enjoyed the schedule the last little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But where do you want to take it? Do you want it to kind of resemble where it is right now, but the gigs are bigger and the lessons are more locked in and you're feeling great about the students you do have and you're getting bigger and better gigs that are more lucrative and and interesting with these people as you all grow like where do you where do you want to take it yeah that's that's a question i've been asked a little bit over it just happened to come up the last few weeks and the thing that i that i try to remember is that i'm already kind of doing thing that i set out to do and i guess it's just it's just that right like i mean i i love making music with different people i love teaching it's fantastic but it's also a lot of work and it's a lot of mental work and a lot of less money per hours put into something i think moving at least in the short term just more of it and hopefully it can sustain a living in vancouver yeah (laughs) you know but i'm already doing the thing that i set out to do which is i'm you know obviously incredibly lucky to be in this position yeah i mean at the end of the day we ought to just I'm. I think we're both just really grateful that we're doing what we're doing. Whatever yeah, exa- it is, exactly. We're doing yeah. It, right? yeah. And I. I don't think, at least in the short term, that I that creating more stability is something that I want to do. Because again, I think I really, really enjoy the fluid nature of my schedule. Of like any week could be very different, and I. I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, that's probably one of the big things that that I'm working on. I feel all over the place too, even though I'm not running around and playing a lot of gigs. I haven't really done that since I was like 19 or 20, but the things that I'm trying to start doing and nurture, like they just pull me in, in so many different directions and I can't keep track of it. But if I feel bad about it, then that's going to happen. And so I just got to remember, like, this is just, this is just how it goes. Like I'm out here and I'm doing this and that's fine. Right. Yeah. You just kind of have to frame it in this way of just remembering that the reason you started doing this in the first place. Right. Yeah. Cause the reason I started doing it was cause I want to do my own thing. And that's like, that's just always been the thing that excites me the most is yeah. when I can start something or when I can nurture something with somebody else, like a band or an album or a podcast or a website or anything, right? I could, I could look at a week, any given week, and like, oh, I have to go to this place and go to this place. And I'm not in the mood to talk to that person, but I have to spend three hours at a gig with them and blah, blah, blah. You know, you could easily frame into, I love that I get all these different specific musical circles and I love that I get to be in all these different places that I need. I don't want to go to the same place all the time. I'm I'm glad I get to spend that. Like, I'd never, with this specific person who's very different from me, I'd never find myself in this room with them. Not you, hypothetical person. <laughs> um, but that's really cool. You know, like there's, I'm describing the same week here, but it's yeah. easier to talk about over a microphone than actually, I'm almost saying this for a reminder for myself that yeah. I think I'm doing, I'm doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And that's, Again, that's all that matters. I think we can imagine a lot of people who we're speaking to when we're talking about this. There's a lot of people I'm sure we have in common, and a lot of them are probably the same people, where we're big fans of what they're doing. And we wouldn't want them to get discouraged, but we know that they do, like anybody, they're going to feel down at some point, right? It's a tricky one, but it's, you know, it's remembering that this is what I want to do. This is worth it. Let's keep trucking. Yeah. And when I get to hear you play or anything, it's obvious to me that it's working, you know? And then we feel that way about our friends, too. When we hear them play, they're awesome, right? And it's like, they're going to be feeling down at some points around that. But ultimately, it's it's all going to be all right as I mean, long the, as we're the, hanging in there. The fact that we have friends that are doing a similar thing or something adjacent to what I'm doing, that I get to run into them in this specific thing, like, that's that's cool to me. That's sharing a musical moment on stage with friends or 
a rehearsal or being in a studio with people that you care about and creating something or whatever. Like it's, I think we both surround ourselves with people that we care about and this unique thing drove us together. That's what, that's why I'm staying here, you know? Yeah. So speaking about being in the studio with people you care about, you have a new album out with Will Clements called Duets. Very on theme for us here. (laughs) Talk about that because I've heard Will's side of the story off podcast. Didn't get a chance to get there with him on podcast, but I heard a little bit from him about how that came together. But I'd love for you to tell me the story of how that came together and what it's all about. Yeah. Will was the was a part of the BC Children's Festival this year. He he was he got a, a free maybe maybe a four hour block of studio time as a result. A lot of the acts there were maybe acts where they wanted. I, th- I think the goal for the festival was to give these artists an opportunity to to create a single with a producer. And because of the nature of what Will and I do, cheeky Will thought it would be a good idea to just what if we just hit record and just played for hours. He didn't he didn't give me a tune list, nothing. And at one point the engineer actually just left the room and hit record and that was literally how it went down. And she just left for <laughs> okay, <laughs> about wow. an hour and a half and whatever couple cuts made the record, that's how it went down. It captures pretty accurately what Will and I's thing is. And that is that spontaneity and feeding off of each other in different ways. And and the fun part about playing with Will is that we had played a lot of these tunes for years and we have maybe set arrangements, maybe it was recorded on the record. And nowadays there's like, if we play a tune that we've always done a certain way, he or I will almost start something completely opposite, do it in different feel, do it like do a completely different intro and just be very contrary to how we normally do it. And it's, just, it's almost this game that we play with each other now. Yeah. I have one more thing about Will. He said that, there was a time way back when, when you cross paths around some kind of like youth ensemble Will had called dysfunctional. <laughs> Do you already know where I'm going with this? <laughs> I know the day, but go on. Yeah. He said that you somehow got like one of the business cards that he made for the band. What happened there? I was, I think my friend named Carolyn G, who's sfu sciences but she's also a great folk singer um that i'd known since high school i think she got that it was one of those new west pop-up things right and then she got the gig and i remember getting to the to the stage and uh there was a sound i i heard murmurings about a sound tech missing or something something i don't know it was I, i just showed up with my guitar and then I see this little guy named Will that's running lines for us and doing that. And he ended up just, you have to talk to him about his side, but he was just, and he was kind of, he was a little grumpy because a lot of things were going wrong at that, at that event at the time. And I remember he did, he did our sound check and everything. And then we stayed to watch his first band dysfunctional. And I remember, (laughs) I think there was maybe a different um, lineup of the band at the time, or maybe there was a different drummer or there's some arrangement problems and and Will was playing alto sax at the time and he would just be cueing all these things at the band mid song. And for years before I met him, we had called him angry sax guy, my friend and I (laughs) (laughs) for years. And then I remember being at a white spot with him years later in our first year and maybe our first month of captain. I I had this moment of like, you're angry sax guy. (laughs) (laughs) Did not know this. That's awesome. So I, I have a dysfunctional card somewhere and I'm, I'm hoping it turns up at one point. 
go get that laminated <laughs> wow. stick it on the wall yeah oh that's funny yeah i mean so unangry <laughs> yeah i think <laughs> it, it, was, it was like the hottest day in the summer yeah. and i think i don't know there were sound problems like there were oh, yeah. band problems like, and he was trying to do it all you yeah know? yeah he was kind yeah. of he was definitely the the bus driver of that entire operation that day so i don't blame him yeah but i remember just a, a grump a grumpy grumpy guy with an alto sax and that was that's my friend will alvin brendan you are a duet expert this has been an awesome hang thank you so much for coming to the thank studio you, and taking thank time you today. for having me Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you haven't followed the feed yet, make sure you do. And think about your friends who might enjoy listening too. Tell them to search for the Rhythm Changes podcast wherever they get their podcasts. If you want more from us, visit our website, rhythmchanges.ca, or follow at Chernoff Music on Twitter. That's me. The Rhythm Changes podcast is a Chernoff Music production.